do you have my mom's new book yet? It's High Five Discipline, Positive Parenting for Happy, Healthy, Well-Behaved Kids. You can get your copy anywhere you purchase books. Thanks, guys. You're, You're welcome, welcome, Mom. <laughs> welcome to Kidding Around. I'm your host, Dr. Candace. I'm a pediatrician, wife, and mom, joined by pediatric experts to discuss your kid health concerns. Let's jump right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm Dr. Candice, and thank you so much for listening. You know, every so often we hear about a young athlete collapsing while playing sports. And as you know, recently it happened to a Damar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills as a result of, we think, a forceful hit to the chest during a game. His family and millions watched as he received life-saving medical care on the field. And thankfully, he is recovering. So, so this episode, we are talking about sudden cardiac arrest. It's rare, but it can happen. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, about 2,000 young, healthy people under age 25 in the U.S. die each year of sudden cardiac arrest. So my guest, Dr. Andrew Peterson, is here to discuss ways to help prevent these tragedies. He is a professor of pediatrics, director um, of, of a primary care sports Medicine. He is the head team physician with the Iowa Hawkeyes at the University of Iowa and among many other great things. So thank you so much, Dr. Peterson, for coming to kid around with me today. Thanks for having me. So help my audience understand what cardiac, sudden cardiac arrest is. You know, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's when the heart stops pumping blood to the rest of the body. Um, these tend to be very dramatic events. You know, the blood, the brain can't go without blood flow for very long at all. And so when someone has sudden cardiac arrest, they typically collapse. And if there's not life-saving interventions fairly quickly, um, they tend to die. Right. And so what are some of the common causes of this in young people in sports or even a young person who may not be engaging in sports? Yeah, so in the United States, it's mainly hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, there, there are definitely other causes, but that's by far the most common, at least in young athletes. Um, that varies a little bit around the world. So one of the more famous studies on this was done um, in the Veneto region of Italy, uh, where arrhythmogenic ventricular dysplasia is a more common cause. Uh, but here in the United States, most of this is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, especially among African-American athletes. Um, there's others, though, right? I mean, uh, long QT syndrome, aberrant coronary arteries, myocarditis, other underlying cardiac abnormalities can definitely increase risk for this. In awesome. this particular case, so when we're talking about the DeMar Hamlin case, um, it seems to have been something called commotion cordis. Uh, commotion cordis isn't, isn't so much a hard hit to the chest. I, th I think that's something that gets confused sometimes. Um, people talk about the force or velocity of these, these injuries, but really it's a bad luck timing type of event. 
Um, so when we talk about it in EKG terms, we talk about it as an RIT event where you get a type of a depolarization event on top of the period of time when the heart is trying to repolarize, um, and that can cause commotia cordis. Luckily, that tends to put people in a type of ventricular arrhythmia that is reversible. So when people have a commotia cordis type of event, typically uh, use of an automated external defibrillator or other type of defibrillation um, can, can be life-saving. That definitely is bad luck or bad timing, as you said. And yes, I, yes. I imagine extremely, extremely rare. Yeah, very rare. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to know because there's not autopsy findings that you, you can use to confirm commotion cordis. Um, you know, the, the big studies on this have been done by Barry Marin's group up in Minneapolis. Um, and, you know, in, in that group, there's no commotion cordis deaths, which doesn't make any sense at all, right? Some, some of those deaths, some of those sudden cardiac arrests on the field are probably commotion cordis. Um, but on the, unlike other types of underlying cardiac abnormalities, there's not really an autopsy finding that you can do or find to confirm the diagnosis and the cause of death. Now, you mentioned that many of those common causes of sudden cardiac arrest in young people are due to cardiac abnormalities that they may or may not know about. So are there symptoms or even risk factors um, with athletes uh, that the athlete or the caregivers or the coaches should look out for or be aware of? Yeah, uh, this is another unfortunate thing, but unfortunately, the most common presenting symptom of sudden cardiac arrest is death, right? So we, we worry about other symptoms. We definitely do evaluations when people have other symptoms, um, but unfortunately, the most common presenting symptom is death. Um, that said, you should be worried about the athlete that has chest pain with exertion, has, has exercise intolerance, has excessive fatigue with exertion, has lightheadedness with exertion, and you should especially be worried about people with exercise-associated collapse. Um, those who have been around sports for a long time definitely see post-exertional syncope. You know, think about the cross-country runner that you know, crosses the finish line and then collapses that tends to not be a very concerning symptom, right? That post-exertional collapse is very, very common and, and generally very benign. Um, but you need to worry a lot more about someone who is exercising hard and then collapses in the middle of hard exercise. Okay. And what about risk factors? Is there anything in someone's like family history that would warrant more workup before they do, you know, sports at a higher level? Yeah, especially for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and long QT syndrome, there's very strong genetic components to those things. So most of the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy genes are autosomal dominant. It's reasonably common for people who have that to have a family history of it. Um, you know, we always ask those questions as part of a pre-participation evaluation. Any unexplained cardiac death in a first-degree relative is concerning and should uh, warrant further testing. Um, same thing with long QT syndrome. So some of those are recessive genes, some of those are dominant genes, but long QT syndrome also seems to have a fairly strong genetic um, predisposition to it. Now, some of the other causes of sudden cardiac death do not, right? So when we talk about myocarditis, which has gotten a lot of attention lately as we come out of the COVID pandemic, you know, there, there's no real family history that's going to help you there. Same thing with aberrant coronary arteries. Those, um, you know, just, just, don't have a strong genetic component. But yeah, family history of sudden cardiac arrest, um, exertional syncope, um, uh, unexplained cardiac death, those are things that should warrant further testing in young athletes. 
And I'm glad you mentioned the myocarditis with the COVID pandemic because that's a shout out for parents that if your child your child is an athlete and they've had COVID, just being a little bit more aware of is there any chest pain or some of the symptoms you mentioned before and just making sure with their pediatrician they're okay to go back or making sure they get that pre-participation examination. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree completely. Um, now there's there's some competing guidelines on this, right? So there's some guidelines out there that suggest uh, doing some type of cardiac screening in young athletes who have had more severe COVID, right? People who kind of get a sniffle for a couple of days probably don't need it, but people who had prolonged fever or have more severe symptoms, people who are hospitalized, uh, things like that, that. Some of the guidelines suggest doing those things. Um, there's competing guidelines that point out that despite the reasonably high rates of myocarditis following COVID, that there isn't an epidemic of dead athletes, right? I mean, as I'm in the Big Ten Conference, I was part of the study that was done done in our conference, and um, we got cardiac MRIs on all of the athletes across the conference that had COVID, and this is several thousand athletes, and about 2.3% of them had evidence of myocarditis on cardiac MRI, but there were zero deaths, right? So if we talk about you know, life-saving interventions here, it, it's unclear that doing more aggressive things uh, post-COVID actually make it difference in, in saving people's lives. Um, I, I think this is one of these areas where reasonable people will disagree on it. You know, I personally would like to know if my athletes have myocarditis. And so we tend to be very aggressive with our cardiac testing following COVID still here at the University of Iowa, even though we're no longer required to do so by the by the Big Ten Conference. Um, but, you know, people could look at the same data and say, where are all the dead athletes? Um, and have a reasonable point. So I, I think reasonable people will disagree on this. I personally am still erring on the side of doing additional cardiac screening following more severe cases of COVID. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so it's hard to know exactly what to do. Right. Absolutely. I think one is too many. Like you said, I think that's reasonable and would welcome my child coming there, <laughs> Aaron, yeah. on the side of caution. Um, now, we talked a couple of times about the pre-participation exam examination or evaluation for athletes, like that sports clearance or sports physical. And we know that that um, screens for many things to, to ensure that athletes or to try to ensure that athletes are safe to play. What other steps, and if you want to go more into that, that's perfect. What other steps should families and communities take to prevent sudden cardiac arrest? Oh, by far the most important thing is having trained personnel and automatic external defibrillators on the sidelines, right? Um, you know, all the things we talk about doing in terms of cardiac screening, um, or, or other initiatives to try to decrease the risk of sudden cardiac death are a drop in the bucket compared to what we can do on the life-saving end. Um, so, you know, I always, I'm a big advocate of athletic training programs. Um, uh, you know, I serve on our state board of athletic training because I want to try to give back to that profession because they actually are the ones that save lives most commonly. Um, and there has to be folks around who know how to use an AED. Uh, luckily, most states require these things. In most states, coaches are required to be CPR and AED certified, are required to have AEDs on the sideline, for, at least for high school events. Um, and, and this comes up, right? I mean, I've been at the University of Iowa for 12 years now, um, and we've had three times where someone died in or around the court. Now, luckily, none of them have been athletes, but um, where someone had a sudden cardiac arrest and were saved using an automated external defibrillator, right? So, I mean, we're talking about my 12-year career, and I can point to three times when those have saved lives. Um, that's going to do a whole lot more than any type of testing or screening or other intervention we do. 
Absolutely. So again, everybody knowing, you know, making sure your athlete is high school, college level is on a team or, or with a group that values having trained personnel, trained in CPR, AED, has an AED, make sure you get their um, pre-participation evaluations and take that seriously. Um, which leads me to the question of what about our um, middle schoolers that are pretty intensely playing sports. And I guess my other question is, are all high schoolers, are high schools doing this that you know of? Uh, so two parts to that question. So uh, the first one is, uh, as, as I mentioned before, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is the main cause of sudden cardiac arrest in, in the United States. Um, at least in athletics, you know, if you look at all comers, it's ischemic heart disease, right? It's like it's adults getting heart attacks. But if, if you look at young athletes, it's mainly hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, luckily or unluckily, depending on how you look at it, the phenotype of this tends not to present until people go through puberty. Um, so most people don't get that outlet obstruction that comes with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and, until they go through puberty. And so in younger kids, the risk seems to be lower. Um, there are not nearly as many deaths from hypertrophic cardiomyopathy uh, in younger kids, youth sports, as there are at the high school and college level. Um, other types of, uh, or other causes of sudden cardiac arrest can definitely happen in younger kids, right? Things like long QT syndrome, aberrant coronary arteries, arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia, those types of things can definitely present at, at younger ages. Um, and so, you know, it's good if you can have an AED at the, at the younger levels. Um, a lot of youth sports organizations do require those types of things. Uh, I don't think any states have laws requiring those things, but um, it, it's a good practice um, and it's nice. And frankly, these things have become dramatically cheaper, right? I mean, so 10, 10 years ago, a good AED was like a $1,500, $2,000 investment, right? I mean, they, they, were, they were expensive. Now you can get a pretty high quality AED for about $400, um, which is a lot more reasonable for a youth sports organization uh, to spend their money on. And so, you know, a lot, a lot of parents are looking for ways to give back to these groups. Um, you hear a lot about people do donating money and, and, and different things. You know, if you want to do the easiest, simplest, most effective thing to improve the health and safety, or at least the decrease the risk of death in young athletes, you know, donating that money towards getting an AED for your youth sports group is, is a good way to spend that money. Um, and you're seeing more and more philanthropy related to that. Uh, and I think it's great. I think it's really good that people are starting to recognize the benefits of those things and are spending the money on it. So uh, I would say it's reasonably common at this point for sports uh, from the youth from the youth level on up to have an AED available, uh, not required by law, uh, but uh, it is a good thing. And there was a second part to your question that now yes, the, the requirement for high schools, because that's what I'm seeing as a pediatrician yes. in the community where, you know, the, the uh, requirement for the PPE is is there. So I'm imagining that um, the high school, at least at the high school level, these teams are prepared um, like you guys are at the college level. Uh, it's state by state. So um, as you know, as we went through the pandemic, a lot of state high school associations uh, decreased or eliminated the requirement for a PPE or at least made it every two or three years rather than a yearly thing, which I personally think is okay. Right? There's not very strong evidence that the pre-participation evaluation decreases risk of sudden cardiac death. Um, 
so you know i i don't have a, um, a a strong feeling about the frequency of the ppe or the requirement for the ppe uh, sometimes i worry that it's a barrier to sport participation even right especially for lower income families families from disadvantaged backgrounds like they may not be able to get in someplace or be able to pay the fees in order to get a ppe to allow their kid to play sports and we know that there's substantial benefits for in, in sports participation right activity levels at younger ages persist into adulthood the more you can get kids to really love physical activity as a kid, the more likely they are to be active adults. And that's probably a, a positive thing for public health and for improving their lifelong health. Um, now, when we talk about the requirements to uh, be prepared for a cardiac event, uh, that also varies state by state. So in my home state of Iowa, uh, we do have a requirement that all coaches uh, be CPR certified and that AEDs are available at the high school level uh, and, and up. Um, that is not the case in, in every state. You know, if I could wave a magic wand and do something to improve the health and safety of young athletes, it would be put an athletic trainer on the sideline and have AEDs available. Okay. I, I like that. And I agree. So I'm hearing you saying, you know, as a, as a tool for families and communities that, you know, asking the questions, you know, as your children are playing sports asking, you know, are they asking the team, asking the coaches, are they prepared for sudden cardiac arrest? Um, do they have trained personnel? Um, and then you can advocate for what is missing as a parent. And then also be prepared yourself with CPR, you know, knowing um, some life-saving um, techniques as well. Is that anything else to add for parents in, in, in general to, to help out more in this area? Yeah, I, mean, I think this is a huge opportunity for advocacy. Um, you know, the life-saving potential of AED use is is very, very high. Um, and so if I was a parent of a youth, of youth, uh, youth athlete, you know, I'd be more concerned about that than I would about what helmet they're wearing or what protective equipment they're having or what type of field turf they're playing on. Uh, those things all get a lot of attention, all have a lot of advocacy around them. But frankly, AED use is probably the most important life-saving thing that we do at, uh, at every level of sport. Um, and so hopefully we can encourage some folks, you know, that this, this event, that our Hamlet event is, is a horrible event, but it's brought some of this to national consciousness. Um, and, you know, his life was saved by that, right? We had an athletic trainer that started CPR within the first minute. He was shocked within the first five minutes um, and he survived. And it sounds like he's doing reasonably well. We don't have a ton of data. Um, the, uh, they, they've been a little tight-lipped on how he's actually doing. Um, but it sounds like rapid CPR, early initiation of CPR and rapid application of the AED was the thing that saved him. And hopefully that's going to get people's attention and realize that those are the types of things that don't just happen at the NFL. Right. I mean, the NFL has got all the resources in the world. Me and Iowa, I've got all the resources in the world. Right. I mean, we, we can do whatever we want. We can we can do things well. Um, but youth sports and especially high schools have limited budgets. Uh, and this is this is a place to put those monies. Right. I mean, if we're trying to improve the health and safety of our young student athletes. Having trained athletic trainers and having AEDs available is by far the most effective intervention we have. Absolutely. I totally agree. So parents ask about the emergency plan that your team, your high school team um, has, you know, don't be afraid to do that. And if there is anything um, missing or subpar based on what we've talked about today, try to advocate for that. Um, that will protect and keep our athletes safe and, and hopefully prevent um, death from sudden cardiac arrest. Dr. R. Peterson, thank you so much for being here. Do you have any resources or last words for my 
my audience? Uh, so for the pediatricians in the group, it's worthwhile being familiar with the fifth edition of the pre-participation evaluation monograph. You know, this is an American Academy of Pediatrics document, but there are five other organizations that contribute to it. Uh, it's well thought out. It's a fairly quick read. So the old versions of this, especially if you guys remember PPE three uh, got a, got a little long, <laughs> had some stuff in them. Uh, PPE five has been pared down to the, the most important stuff, and so uh, that is something you have to purchase. It's not freely available, but for the pediatrician in the group, um, I would strongly encourage you to be familiar with PPE 5. Um, for those of you who are parents, for those of you who are taking care of young athletes in other settings, um, you know, it's, it's worthwhile taking a look at the American Heart Association uh, Bethesda documents on uh, sudden cardiac arrest in, in young athletes. Uh, those things go through a lot of the details of what we were talking about today, some of the epidemiology, some of the preventative strategies, some of the data behind it, some of the cost effectiveness analysis, um, and they're fairly approachable documents. So even though they're scientifically written, these are things that most people can um, can digest and can, and can work through. So um, that that data is freely available. All the AHA data documents are, are freely available. All the Bethesda conference documents are available. Um, and so if you want to learn more about that, I, I would point people there. And as you guys know, all of that, those resources will be in the show note um, so that you can link right to it. Um, any final words for us? No, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I do want to encourage the value of both athletic trainers and automated external defibrillators on the sideline. Uh, these are life-saving interventions. Um, it's not very often that us as pediatricians in, in the community have a chance to save a life, but this is one of them. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Candace MD. Thanks for listening.